Welcome to La Fleur Politique with Dr. Michael de Percy. Please visit www.politicalscience.com.au to explore Dr. de Percy's blog, publications, show notes, and more. Today I spoke with Dr. Jean Paul Gagnon, a social and political philosopher and director of the Foundation for the Philosophy of Democracy. He's also an assistant professor of politics at the University of Canberra. Today we discussed professional orientation in the School of Politics, Economics and Society. Thank you very much for joining us, Professor Michael de Percy. How are you? I'm well, thank you, John Paul. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. It's uh, very windy by the sea here in Wollongong, uh, but I guess that's a fresh breeze during this lockdown. Absolutely. Yes, it's quite uh, cold and wet here in Gunning as well. <laughs> well, we both have weather to keep us indoors and to turn our attentions uh, to this matter of professional orientation. Uh, so I'm told that you're probably warm and cozy in front of an open uh, fire. Uh, absolutely. One of the joys of living in regional New South Wales. That's phenomenal. I can see you there in front of it. Uh, loads of books and uh, lots of fancy um tech to to work with because you're you're a really accomplished podcaster and producer oh yes thank you yeah i've been uh, working on that for several years now and uh, it's just about to pick up momentum that's awesome and of course we're colleagues <laughs> so we're both members of the canberra school of politics economics and society and uh we're talking for this first uh, episode because you and i teach into this professional orientation, professional development, professional evidence, uh, direction in the university. And I thought it was really appropriate for us to kick the series off together and then meet again when it ends, because our students are actually going to go through a process similar to that. They'll you know, maybe start with myself or yourself and then end with uh, one of us or, or another colleague uh, as may be the case. Uh, absolutely. And I think um, part of the professional orientation uh, purpose is to assist students to develop a, a professional narrative and to be thinking about their careers and their personal development, uh, and but also to be thinking about what they're going to do at the end of university. Now, it, it's obviously not everyone's going to know what they want to do at the end after they graduate. And it can seem such a long way off. I don't know about you, but do you remember sitting there looking at the list of assignments you had to do over the following three years, thinking that it was never going to end, you know, so <laughs> it, it can be quite daunting in that way. Um, but at the same time, um, things are much more competitive upon graduation uh, that students really have to start networking right from the, the beginning and, of their degree. And I guess professional orientation is about uh, getting them to start thinking about the narrative and to start thinking about personal professional development, thinking about networking, the interest groups and professional groups that, uh, you know, work in the same space they intend to work on or, or, or in. Uh, and, and really professional orientation is about that first sort of step in that, that journey. Uh, and, and at the end of the um, semester, uh, we're hoping that students have progressed significantly as you know, one sort of stage in that longer journey of their degrees and then uh, afterwards their professional careers. Totally. And your reminiscing brought back all these memories as well from undergrad. Um, and I guess I was studying between 2000. 
2003 and 2006 thereabouts for undergrad in Canada. And I, I recall having no idea, no idea whatsoever, you know, what uh, I would do for money um, and everything about the the journey, this learning journey was just following my nose. You know, I was interested in different subjects or I'd come across, you know, soil science. Like, okay, I'll take that class. <laughs> and it was totally random, um, but it was a lot of fun. And I have, if you ask me what the best experience is, what the most I got out of undergrad, everything I think would be first social. And then secondly, it would be about these wonderful uh, bits and bobs of, of information you know, that I collected along the way through an assortment of classes, you know, so from environmental sciences, I remember the, the you know, the, the centrality of the American chestnut to this huge ecosystem. And it was mind blowing how all of that works or, um, a, you know, a road trip we did in soil science to a nearby forest where the, uh, the professor had his grad students spend half the day digging out this small hillside <laughs> so that we could all go there with our, pencils and, you know, rulers and things and look at root structures and layers of soil. Uh, you know, it's those types of memories. And uh, a lot of the stuff outside of that is just social. You know, I'm uh, one of the readings that we have in this class is about how one of the most important things you could possibly do at uni is just to make friends. Yeah, absolutely. I guess I had a very different experience. Mine began in the early 1990s. Um, at first, they were handwritten, later typed, and then eventually word processors were invented. So, you know, I sort of uh, predate <laughs> a lot of your experience. And it was certainly before the internet. And when the internet did come out, it used to cost me $40 to log on for five minutes to find that there was no content on the internet. So, oh my you know, God, $40? So very, <laughs> yeah, very different days. That was just for like a, you know, for like a five minute log on. Uh, and they're yeah, very early days, but I did actually did my uh, undergrad via correspondence from Deakin University, which by the late 90s became an online uh, degree. Um, and so mine was very isolated. I was also in the military at the same time. And I was about wow. eight months of each year out in the scrub with no, well, there were no phone. <laughs> we barely had mobile phones. <laughs> you know, they only came out in the early 90s, apart from the enormous brick of the late 80s, right? So, you know, very different times. But um, mine was less social and much more cerebral and intellectual. Uh, I remember just um, absolutely, I was studying strategic studies as part of my military career. And when I mm. left, I thought, well, what's the point of st strategic studies outside of the military? And so I turned it into uh, political science, uh, which you know held the same fascination and had, I must admit, since like age 11 or something. So it was kind of like um, interesting that, out of the journey, sometimes your actions lead to new journeys and often lead to destinations that you weren't aware of, um, you know, wanting that, but then later realizing, I, I, I guess it was, uh, I think it was Nietzsche said, called it the amor fati, the unfortunately, <laughs> the unfortunate <laughs> Latin term for love of fate. And that if you actually love your fate, then you can really enjoy your life because you can't plan and mm. you can't control external events but part of it is about acting and that action um, breeds opportunity and out of that opportunity comes that journey and like you're saying about you know that sort of 
soil science you know, it probably led to you becoming more curious about things that you'd otherwise not even think about, like a chestnut, for example, and its centrality to ecosystems and so on. And I guess in your current research, that um, I mean, that sort of resurfaces, that, that concept of ecosystems resurfaces in your research. Is that not the case? Uh, yeah, yeah. I never actually made those connections before, but, uh, you know, outside of the research, I'm completely an obsessive about chestnuts. I'm a chestnut obsessive. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, it's about the American one too, because, um, you know, that tree has undergone an incredible journey in its existence. Uh, it was once, you know, the most abundant, uh, nut bearing, a tree and it was a huge part of ecosystems and then of course colonists arrived in in the united states and they brought with them their own european chestnut trees which had uh, a eurasian fungus attached to it which infected the american variety which didn't have that so it's kind of like the the smallpox uh equivalent for the chestnut and uh it decimated the the, the entire continent's population until about 20 years ago scientists were able to find a, uh, a way of making the tree not hostile to the fungus because that, that was the key. Apparently, if the tree attacked the fungus, the fungus was like, hey, what's this, buddy? You think you're some tough guy? <laughs> and <laughs> the fungus would hit it back and kill the tree. Uh, so now they've made a symbiotic relationship and it's, it's on the way back. So there's that and, yeah, all these other considerations that I would have never imagined. But I guess like you and I benefited quite a lot from our own respective experiences of, you know, the undergrad. Uh, I did it, um, you know, very much on campus with, with others, you know, frisbees, hacky sack, pot, <laughs> the, the whole uh, journey. And, you know, you're, you're in the military, you know, studying by correspondence and you're, you're you know, shooting uh, rockets and uh, reading Nietzsche at the same time, which is a kind of cerebral uh, rocket uh, activity. <laughs> um and these dynamics are just, they, they clearly worked out well for us. We both have our own approaches to presenting ourselves, you know, professionally and the types of things that we're, or at least we think that we're good at, that we can demonstrate we're proficient at, and, you know, we can contribute all of these things to society yeah, um, absolutely, or, or perhaps government and business beyond that. But I'm wondering, you know, is there a risk, is there a risk that, you and I and our undergraduate colleagues, aka students in this class, will fall into uh, what I label the seduction of market-oriented uh, worldviews. So, okay, it's not my label. I'm definitely plagiarizing that. And the worry that I have comes from a Marxist theoretician. Uh, about 20 years ago, he published a really influential paper about how capitalism is a virus. And of course, with COVID-19, we're all professionals with viral hygiene. <laughs> and the, the point here is that, you know, decades and decades and decades ago, the common human experience wasn't to go to university to get a, you know, certificate and some skills that will make you a great accountant or, uh, or whatnot. The, the educative experience was completely different. It was there to, you know, try to get us to innovate, to be more creative, to, to have more creativity, sorry, to, you know, think about the conditions of our existence, to, um, yes, 
try to uh, dame the sex of angels and, and all those types of things. Um, so I'm just wondering, like, do you think that this professional orientation has a risky side to it that maybe you and I are just pawns in a, in a system that is asking us to make good little workers? Yeah, look, I mean, that, that's one of the major risks. Interesting that you said accounting because previously accounting was not a university course much like nursing, it was a sort of a, a nursing was an in-house kind of course. Um, uh, some aspects of the Royal Military College Duntroon, they're in-house without necessarily a degree. Um, there were lots of careers that were um, sort of almost like on-the-job training based with some instruction as opposed to, you know, writing essays and, and so on. And as uh, careers like nursing, like accounting, have tried to elevate their status, they've moved to more sort of theoretical, um, uh, more of a theoretical basis in, in the, the university courses. And in many ways, that's the purpose of university. Like university is not there to teach you, you know, how to do accounting, for example. Um, and it's it's more to have you sort of thinking and understanding the concepts of ethics and all the rest of it that goes into the practice of these these particular uh, vocations. So, I, I mean, I guess there is that applied focus and, and our own university, of course, is very much focused on that uh, applied aspect. And, and it's part of the reason we have professional orientation is because, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to orient people. You, you know, the way that I think of it, instead of... I do like this this sort of competing idea of whether we're developing market-oriented stooges or free-thinking badasses, I think the, the term goes, <laughs> um, uh, as you said. But um, I, I think part of the part of the issue is that um, I'm first in family in, in terms of uh, having a degree, and not only that, but a PhD. And it's kind of interesting that my uh, one of my younger sisters is actually studying her PhD right now. Oh, so it's wow. kind of yeah, it's kind of cool that all of us have you know university qualifications at least at a master's level um, now, and and this is from you know family from Western Sydney, you know, so it's it's kind of unusual, and and our parents sort of really don't understand what we do, you know, like they were very much working class people, um, and obviously obviously not all, but many of the students at, at our university have similar backgrounds or have parents who have similar backgrounds to mine, um, hmm. so. They don't necessarily have the um, social capital that comes from having well-educated, well-off family situations, um, and and again, this is not always the case. But I think part of professional orientation, it's not so much to orientate someone toward a particular market. Um, I think marketing skills are really important, but I think what's really important is that self-knowledge. And, you know, I mean, really this goes back to Socrates through Plato, um, and and it was, I believe, the motto um, inscribed over the oracle at Delphi, and it's know thyself. And it's really about getting to know yourself and what you like and what you don't like and trying to orientate yourself towards something that you can do um, on a daily basis that actually develops a sense of pride in your work. For those of us who haven't um, had parents or family members or environments that could actually encourage us and teach us about developing our approaches to our careers, it can be quite difficult. Uh, I remember talking with, with my son years ago saying like, well, you know, um, 
if your plan A doesn't work, then have a plan B. <laughs> and I'll never forget that it, it eventually it came down to the fact that he didn't have a plan A. He actually had no idea what it was that he wanted to do. Um, and this is upon finishing high school. And I, I, I guess that that's quite the challenge for many of us. I mean, you know, I remember the guidance officers, this is back in 1987, right? But in high school, the guidance officers saying, oh, when you go to university and me just looking at them saying like, well, the nearest university is like 500 kilometers away. Um, how am I going <laughs> to get there? How am I going to live? How am I going to pay the fees? Like, you know, what planet do you live on? And, you know, I, I found it really sort of confusing. And, mm. and I guess, um, you know, times are different. It, it's, uh, you know, the, the wealth and the economy, the, you know, our, our sort of access to wealth is much better at multiple levels. Obviously not for everyone, but there are support systems. But so you need to have the social capital to understand those support systems. And there are so many things that we sort of pick up via hearsay, which are effectively inaccurate gossip about how careers work. I mean, give me an example. I wanted to be a fighter pilot and... I was told that I couldn't get into ADFA to be a fighter pilot unless I had a math science um, and a particular, what do they call them now, ATAR or whatever. And it was yeah, a lie. Some kind of score, yeah. Yeah, but it was actually a lie. I could have got in, into ADFA. In fact, I was way over what was required with my result doing music theatre and I could have still gone on to be a fighter <laughs> pilot. You know, and it was just a lie. Um and, but that's the sort of information you're getting from guidance officers and everything else. And so my point is, if you don't have that access to people who can guide you, or if you don't seek out people who can help guide you, you have to do it yourself. And that's very difficult to do unless you have an introduction to things like professional orientation. So in my oh, sort of I approach tried. to the subject is I'm really thinking about, well, you know, what did I need at that stage you know, based on that experience of my environment and upbringing and so on. And, and I, guess, I guess the most simple thing is that for me, it was, it was about action, you know, that action breeds opportunity. Uh, and, and I've always believed that. Um, and, you know, I guess too, you have to not be satisfied, but it's kind of interesting because if you have, you know, if you come from a working class background, you'll have lots of people who are sort of, you know, saying that you, well, you know, why aren't you satisfied? Isn't this good enough for you? And I guess mm. part of part of it is to actually have the drive to say, no, I want more. And I don't necessarily mean material things, but that you want more satisfaction out of what you do. And I guess, you know, for me, if somebody does a university degree and they decide that, um, you know, they love reading and they love the classics, but they're going to go and work in a mine, <laughs> but they love working in a mine, then that's great, you know. It, yeah. it's, it's, it's about making choices. And... This is the trouble, right? Because making choices is very much market oriented. It's very much about capitalism. You know, it's based on individual choice and individual rational consumer behavior. And, and again, all these models can be challenged and so on. Uh, but at the same time, I think if people think to the time when they had that sense of flow, where everything was just going right, where they were not so much happy, because happy is more like, happiness is more of an emotion, but content as in a state of being, that if you can actually mm -hmm. achieve that in your day-to-day -day existence, then life can be quite grand. And I guess for me, it's really hard to do that without an education. You know, you, you, can't, yeah. you can't get the experience. I mean, even reading novels can be an academic experience because you're basically reading about the emotions and the experiences of these yeah. fictional characters 
who are inevitably oh, yeah, based on research. real life. <laughs> Say again? Yeah. And, and re- research is showing that, uh, they, you know, people put the nodes and things like that on, on various people's heads when they read uh, novels versus when they're doing something like uh, a creative work, like pottery or whatnot. And the, the results show that um, when you're reading a novel, you know, something that's really engaging and you're, you're totally following through with the protagonist and the events, you know, are happening to you and all that kind of stuff, the brain shows the same thing. So it's, it's as if your brain thinks that you're doing those actions. And of course, like you said, Mick, that there's all of these um, people who know this from across the ages, that if you pick up a, a good book, something that's really well uh, written, you're actually experiencing uh, this life. You know, even if it's about, for instance, dragons or uh, fictitious characters in a, in a you know, timepiece from the Middle Ages or whatever. Absolutely. You know, the, yeah. So, but to bring this back to, you know, the suite of, of classes and this one in particular, professional orientation, I think we're in agreement that you and I, and, and presumably this is going to be broader in, in the way that the university, and not just UC, but effectively every um, university that is uh, part of this cosmopolitan global culture that is vying for, you know, positions in the, the university rankings and and such, that they they all have these pressures on them uh, by governments and also by students, you know, to ensure that they have um, that they are quote unquote producing graduates that are going to be able to make uh, money, that are you know, and and that are going to be able to uh, not be, for instance, like Diogenes in uh, ancient Athens, who you know went you know what, I don't like this society. I don't like these people. I'm going to live in a barrel and talk to dogs. <laughs> um, Absolutely. And, but, yeah. but, you know, but the thing about Diogenes is that even though that was, the, he, he chose that life, you know, it was a preference and he was extremely famous. So, you, you know, it's not like, it's not like he was, he wasn't a, uh, what's, what's the word? Not a martyr. What, what are the, the aesthetics? Uh, what are they? What, not Ascetic, yeah, the word? A, 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 ascetic, an a, a seat, yeah, an a seat, yeah. He wasn't in a seat necessarily. There's a story that um, he's la- laying down on a rock in the sun, and Alexander the Great towers over him because he always wanted to meet him because he envied, you know, his simple existence. And <laughs> Alexander said to him, words to the effect of, "I'm the most powerful man in the world. I can give you anything. What do you want?" And Diogenes said, "Can you just step aside? You're blocking my sun." And that's all he wanted from me. <laughs> so, you see, that's, but that's so wonderful and free giving. And I, I think that's a huge thing that I, I particularly want to explore in this um, series of podcasts. It's that we have this, this need. So many of us required, I mean, unless you're rich or unless basic income becomes a thing for us, which probably it won't in our lifetimes, but unless you've got money and lots of it, you will need to work. You know, the, the welfare systems in countries like Australia are not designed just to give people handouts for being alive. And the fact that I use the word handout is, is suggestive that these things are, um, you know, considered uh, not as good as being able to produce income of your own. And yet the problem is when we do that, when we go to uni, when we, you know, get these micro-credentials and we develop... Um, 
things like ePortfolios, which we'll return to in the very last episode, in, in episode eight with you again, uh, Michael. We do all of these things, and yet we come out and what? We're in somebody's shadow. There's somebody who's blocking our sun. And you know we can't actually tell them or ask them, could you please step out of our sun? Because they'll just fire us. And there's 65 other people or, or 250 other people who want the job that we've currently got. So, yeah, look, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you could point to Stoic philosophy there as, as an answer to some of those issues, you know. Um, and I guess, too, that part of the problem is that we have this sort of feeling that unless we have a job or, or a good job or, you know, that we can't possibly exist. And, and it's not... I mean, obviously, in the, a developed economy, it's very different. I guess for me, part of the issue was just understanding more about um, the purpose of government and the purpose of you know education policy and the purpose of pedagogy and all these things. Um, it, it, it's really about, I guess, trying to sort of map something out because, I mean, if we're all left to our own devices, you know, we're basically in a, in a um, you know, <laughs> we're, we're really we're really looking at. Um, Sorry, the <laughs> Leviathan. You know, we're, we're looking at the idea of Leviathan, a strong government who can lead us through problems. Now, look, look at the pandemic. Straight away, we're looking to the government not only for solutions, but to actually solve everything for us. You know, there's 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 hardly this sort of wonderful community spirit supporting the government. There's fighting, infighting. <laughs> you know, it's. It, it, I mean, human nature is what it is, and, and I guess you know. Capitalism obviously is not the greatest system, but you know there are more people, you know, living longer, healthier lives than there ever were uh, in history, and in fact there are more people than, <laughs> you know, almost in total um, that have been before in many ways. So you know these sorts of um, these sorts of issues, I think understanding it, at least from my point of view, you know, to, to give you a really simple example. You know, the university has a particular sort of purpose on applied education and on, you know, dealing with um, students who, you know, want to be like first in family to graduate and so on. So we have to cater for that. And, you know, for me, that's something that I can subscribe to. Right. That's so interesting. And I'm immediately thinking about the experience of our undergraduate colleagues commencing right now. Because, you you know, you've used a lot of key words that I think relate perfectly to this aspect of orientation, right? So another way of looking at this is you're starting a new journey. You've got a, a, a map with uh, some direction in front of you. You know that there's others in exactly the same situation as you are. So there's about 38 or so in this class this semester. Now, each person has got to navigate this, but they don't have to do it alone. Like you mentioned, there's us, yourself, myself, and other members in the university community, faculty or, or whatnot. And there's also colleagues, those just like you know uh, anyone else taking this class, who you can talk to and, and try to figure things out with. And of course, you're taking this journey for your own personal reasons. And everyone's going to have that. Some of them won't know what it's like. So your son and myself, we had no idea. Right? Uh, and it was very much a... Um, an exploration to see what it is that we liked and what we were interested in. And, and just, as you said, again, to take actions, to, to do things that we think are good and worthwhile and hopefully 
noble and and just you know uh, the things that would be considered value adds to society or at least benign you know uh in in that regard but others are you know coming to uc for these degrees to get a promotion or uh, most of the cases they're coming because uh and, and i think this is probably the realist view and, and by realism, I mean a, a particular way of looking at the world through economic and power considerations, that, that paradigm. So for the realists, an undergraduate degree, and increasingly the master's degree by coursework, is seen as high school 2.0 and high school 3.0. That these are hoops that you need to jump through to be able to get a job in, say, the public service or in the private sector, that if you don't have these credentials, you know, you're unlikely to get any of these positions. And then you're back in this area of, you know, uh, maybe having to be on welfare or taking a job that um, you won't enjoy, right? What uh, David Graeber, who we'll come to talk about in in later episodes calls uh, shit work, which is just bad, bad work. So to sum all of this up, my understanding is Professional orientation is not, you know, for for us or for the university or governments or businesses to, you know, it's it's not like a secret program (laughs) where these puppet masters can go and and shape and condition people to do their their bidding. But rather, it's a a very social um, approach to help, you know, these people who are starting their journey to well, to understand what that might be and to, to figure where they might go and what the danger areas are or uh, where the good areas are to go. Does, does that make sense? Like, do you think that that's a, a nice way of looking at it? Yeah, absolutely. But I guess I guess rather than a sort of deficit approach, it's not so much about helping, but it's about um, providing uh, people with the tools and with the skills and with the ideas and these are not our ideas. Mm. These are ideas that have come from humanity, you know, in, in, the, the um, Isaac Newton standing on the shoulders of giants. It's only the only reason I've seen further is because I stood on the shoulders of everyone else. And I guess that's where we're passing on that, that baton, the tradition uh, to, to our students in, in, in that regard. And that has its own ideological underpinnings, you know, in on liberty, more or less, and in, you know, Rousseau's sort of pedagogical uh, ideal in Emile and so on. Um, but, but I guess when people have those it's kind of like in the matrix, you know, take the red pill and you go back, take the blue pill and your eyes will be open. And I guess part of the problem is once you've taken that blue pill, you can't go back, you know, you you sort of see, (laughs) you see the world in a very different way. Uh, And and I think that's why university qualifications are so important because once you've completed that journey, it puts you in a very different um, intellectual class. That's not to say that some people, you know, people always talk about Bill Gates dropping out of um, uni and being the richest person in the world. But the simple fact is the statistics suggest that there's a couple of people like that and everyone else had to go to university, you know. So the statistics are on your side if you go to uni. Um, But at the same time, I I think it's really important that um, students have the opportunity um, to learn about themselves and rather than, you know, so, so in effect... We can be applied in the way that we teach all of our subjects within the school, but during this 
professional orientation, which is very much about careers, we can also introduce students to um, the the classics and to philosophies and you know ideologies and all of these sort of really interesting things uh, that that are based mm-hmm. around the subjects that we teach in our school, um, but not so much in a way where they're just rote learning or you know reading the classics, but they're actually applying them to their own lives in their own way. And for me, it's about sort of knowing thyself or thyselves um, and also knowing how to make choices uh, and and also knowing how to reflect and how to grow. Um, For me, that professional orientation is is very important in in that regard. It's not just a required unit that, you know, gets you to do a Mahara portfolio (laughs) and that's the end of things. I think it's much more about personal development, personal growth um, and uh, also professional development, but with the aim of students going into a profession where they actually enjoy their lot in life, so to speak. And we're we're about on time. So uh, I guess before we go, and, and we're going to meet you again, like uh, when it comes to considerations of professional evidence and how to keep track of, of everything, you know, on the other side of this podcast journey. Um, but before we do go, is there anything you know you'd like to add, just um, for our, our undergraduate colleagues, you know, approaching this this stage? What 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 is it that they should uh, be doing in a nutshell, um, and and why do you think that would be valuable? Absolutely, I think I think people should take charge of their own learning, and what I mean by that is not saying that you know I prefer TED talks to lectures. Um, you know, Ted has their own censorship issues and so on, <laughs> which which I don't agree with. Um, what I mean is read, read books, you know, get a Kindle, doesn't matter, <laughs> but read um, because reading leads to freedom. And, you know, the other thing is, and I guess this is a very stoic way of thinking about um, one's education, but, you know, you can have your qualifications taken away, but you can't have your education taken away. And, and I think, you know, focus more on becoming educated and educating oneself uh, and drawing on the skills and experience and the systems around you at university. And for me, that's like the sort of individual liberal ideal of a liberal arts degree. But I think reading is is the key point. And like I said, reading enables us to experience things. The way I like to put it is we can read about others' mistakes rather than making the mistakes ourselves because fools learn by their experience and regrettably i'm a bit of a fool so you know (laughs) if if you can do what i suggest as opposed to doing what i did i think you'll find that you you know you could be a lot happier a lot earlier in your life Uh, but again um, amal fati i'm more than happy with my life Uh, the way that it's turned out extremely happy (laughs) but the university for me is a big freedom machine and, and i really encourage people to embrace that while they're here that's beautiful and from uh, one fool to another, <laughs> let me just say a very big thank you, uh, Professor Michael de Percy. Thank you so much for your time, for helping us start this series. And we'll be seeing you again on the other side. Thank you, Jean-Paul. Cheers. You've been listening to La Flaneur Politique with Dr. Michael de Percy. Explore Dr. de Percy's website at www.politicalscience.com.au. The Flaneur Politique podcast is available on Spotify. SoundCloud, Stitcher and Apple Podcasts. IWSN 2652 8851.